Welcome to the Directions Mag Geo Inspirations podcast series with Joseph Kursky. All right, folks, greetings. Joseph Kursky here. I am here with one of my all time favorite people in the land of geography, geospatial, education, and beyond, Dr. Shannon White. Shannon, thanks for being here. Thank you for asking. Uh, much appreciated. I think many people in these fields, these converging sort of Venn diagrams, if you will, know who you are, but just for the benefit of uh, those who may not know who you are and where you work, could you give us uh, your current position and then after that, maybe a little background of how you got to where you are? Okay. As Joseph said, my name is Shannon White. I currently work at uh, the College of William & Mary. Uh, we are a university, but the second oldest uh, university in the nation. It's in Williamsburg, Virginia, and I, my current title is GIS Certificate Coordinator. As a liberal arts university, um, many of the liberal arts universities don't necessarily delve deep into certificates, and so it's a new program here at William & Mary, and I started about a year ago. It's pretty exciting. Um, I took a really interesting path to get here. I probably, um, in some ways, have, have become a boomerang. I was born and raised in Williamsburg. I'm named after a place in Virginia. My middle name is Hill. I'm uh, Shannon Hill, Virginia is what I'm named after. And um, I, I went undergrad. I was interested in education. And then um, I, I took some classes. I did my student, uh, student observations. And then I sort of wasn't sure if I really wanted to do classroom teaching at that time. And I returned to Williamsburg after graduation and uh, worked at Colonial Williamsburg in costume and was not with technology at all for about um, two or three years. It was kind of neat. And that, that pathway actually starts at Colonial Williamsburg because I started teaching in this kind of space that's not a formal classroom and with audiences that are not your typical audiences. They were from cradle to grave and age and um, diverse backgrounds and um, from all over the world. And it was great. But I, I did do some work at um, NC State. That's where my master's and my PhD come from. And um, that's really where the intersection of education and GIS met. When I took a course in GIS in education, first ever in the nation, uh, thanks to Dr. Marsha Alibrandi. I did my dissertation research around um, spatial cognition and where students and teachers thought about GIS in the world, as well as where they thought about it in their schools and how they how they themselves interpreted um, GIS and instructional technology. I went from there to the University of South Florida where I spent time as, um, as a assistant director of an instructional technology center where I had 100 teachers who were trainers uh, training other educators when we were at that um, nexus of technology in every discipline. And I was teaching, um, mm -hmm. teaching trainers how to do podcasts and those types of things um, when they were brand new. And from there I left because I, while I love all sorts of technology and am very passionate about learning new technologies, um, there was a job at the University of Missouri as a geospatial extension specialist. And um, there were only a handful of us in the nation that have had that title. And our whole job was to be a geo-evangelist, um, to go out and talk about the good things about geography, GIS, and how it could be used in local communities, as well as in um, 
in schools as well as in businesses, agencies, government agencies. Um, you name the audience, I have been there. Um, it's I even have worked <laughs> with farmers at a Computers in the Farm conference um, and how to use GIS and GPS on the farm. But um, this opportunity came up for me to be able to come back to Williamsburg, my hometown, and to do what I do with GIS um, at this, um, this wonderful university. And so um, my experiences working with educators and professionals and youth in 4-H and in other classroom settings has, has led me to this point where I am now at William & Mary. Just for the benefit of the uh, listeners here, I believe I met you Right when you were starting your graduate program there at mm -hmm. NC State, and yeah. you were one of the very few people that were doing research in yeah the effectiveness and implementation of GIS in education. So mm -hmm. uh, it's been great to just sit back and see your trajectory and the influence that you've had on, like you said, so many different kinds of um, uh, groups. I personally wish I had been named after a feature on the landscape, but that's pretty cool <laughs> to know that about you. Also, I, I just can't imagine living in Williamsburg. I know you grew up there, but mm -hmm. just that, you know, the, the history there, not just the colonial Williamsburg part of it, but just, you know, all those river towns, those tidal mm -hmm. towns, it just must be, must, must be pretty amazing. So how, I was trying to ask you, what is the, um, the biggest challenge that you've got at your I don't know, fairly new post. You've been there a year now, mm -hmm. right, at William & Mary. Right. What's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? That's a great question. Um, you know what's really fascinating to me is that certificates have been around for many years. I earned a GIS certificate mm -hmm. at NC State 20 years ago. Um, it's new at this university um, because as a liberal arts university, I have students that major in – um, very diverse things, and I and I look at them and I go, make that connection for me between your two majors, um, economics and dance. Uh, and the students are wonderful because they're able to articulate that. And because they're able to kind of build upon these varying interests, they can build GIS into so many different types of classes. And since I've arrived, I have been asked quite a number of times to go, go in and help faculty members think about where GIS fits in their curriculum, which of course is like the perfect sweet spot for me and my background. But it's also really interesting because the technology has changed so much over the past 20 years. And so as someone who struggled with command line and, um, and transitions from ArcGIS 3 to ArcGIS 8, remember those 7, 8, moving mm -hmm. to the graphical <laughs> user interface, we're at that same transition point again with the difference from desktop to ArcGIS Pro and ArcGIS Online. And um, when you talk about like Esri products, the other thing that's really fascinating is non-Esri products, anything in the world, everything's mapped. And so when I start talking about GPS um, and GIS, I don't have to call it GIS, I just call it online mapping. And people, they know it, um, but they don't always know that background of it. And so that challenge of Yes, so I'm putting a point on the dot of Williamsburg, but if I zoom in more, I can put that point on the building that I work in. Or if I zoom in even more, I can put make that point be more accurate to where my office actually is. And, and having people think about, you know, scale, 
um, and representation using colors and things like that, it's so easy and accessible, but also asking people to stop and think, where is that value that you're adding um, and making sure that your audience understands it. Uh, I think that that is such a unique space to be in right now. It's super exciting. I, I can't, 20 years ago, if you had told me we would be where we are in geospatial technologies with drones being able to pick up remote sensed imagery of something that's at a, at a local scale, it's just powerful. Um, and we, we run into this challenge of people wanting to, to learn it and then wanting to learn more. All of our classes have wait lists um, because we, we literally can't fill, um, we fill all our seats and we can't, um, we can't offer enough courses. It's, it's an amazing challenge to have. See, you did come around to the challenges, Shannon. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I have to agree. There is GIS and related technologies, right? We've seen so much evolution, but yet this whole transition between the traditional sort of desktop workflows and having to download everything and then you produce something and you might uh, put it into an article um, now you create a story map or some other web mapping applications and or application and potentially hundreds or thousands of people could actually look at the results of your research. It kind of touches on what you were saying. It's not just the, the doing things with web enabled tools. Now it, it changes the whole audience, right? It changes right. the whole approach to maybe some of our research. And so I agree with you. It's an exciting time to be in this, in this area. You know, given your multifaceted pathway over the years, mm -hmm. what about this? What what would you say would be the most important class, book, person, event, or something else that convinced you to pursue what you're pursuing? You know, it's funny. I don't think there is one moment. Um, okay, there is one moment because there's the introduction moment of GIS. People use maps all the time, but until they know that GIS as a technology exists and that it's very, very deep, then, then there's like this awakening that occurs. And I would say that my awakening was due to Dr. Uh, Marsha Alibrandi when she taught um, the very first GIS in education course. It was mm -hmm. a semester long course it included really amazing topics. Um, I can remember one of the first readings she had us read was um, Ground Truthing by John Pickles. We, everyone in the class struggled with it because it was the first couple of weeks of classes. We didn't understand the technology. We didn't understand the concepts as well as we, um, as I do now. And now I, that's like a touchstone of, of the work that we do, you know, ground truth your work um, and your data, make sure that it's accurate and, and it's representing what you want it to re represent. But I remember those struggles and I, I started to build a network of people that I still depend on um, today, if I have a question about something in GIS, I reach out to and reach back to people that I studied with during those times that I was at NC State. But I would not know what GIS was if it weren't for Dr. Marchella Brandy and that first GIS and education course. And then she allowed us to teach it. Um, so myself and a colleague, we were able to um, we were we were students who became the instructors in the summer sessions of that class and you know teaching something to someone else really makes it very much alive for the student but also for you because you have to think about it from their perspective and um, I cannot 
say um, enough about those experiences that I had during grad school that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't started down that path, if I hadn't decided to take a certificate in GIS in natural resources. I was a social sciences um, major. And then, you know, I, I can go back and say, you know, I always was interested in science and I had this intersection of social studies and social sciences with science, um, but GIS uh, um, really brought all of that together for me in my professional work. Um, and that technology was, was so new and so difficult at that time for teachers to think of, especially in say K-12 education, um, to, to think about integrating. And it's been um, a great ride ever since then. It really has. I, I, I can't say enough about those choices to take a random class that someone says, hey, you might like this. And taking that opportunity and then if it's what you love to do, keep going with it. Um, there weren't any other classes in education in GIS. I had to go to natural resources and learn about uh, riparian areas across, you know, along water. And that was not what I was studying. Um, and, and it was a great challenge. And I met so many great people who were doing interesting things because I put myself out there and started to, to push my own learning and knowledge. Indeed. Yeah, you're touching on so many things that are wonderful here. One of which is, I know you and I have talked about this from time to time, but we both feel like we've learned more GIS methods, techniques, data, etc., teaching it than <laughs> taking right. formal classes. Although the formal classes, as you're touching on also, were, were beneficial and valuable. And uh, but But yeah, there's something about teaching it when you're on the spot and you're journeying forward with the students and you don't know a certain thing, okay, let's find out together. So it really pushes you forward. And another thing that I love about what you're saying is that professional network, um, mm -hmm. extending into you know personal friendships that are lifelong in, in this. Um, I think that's one of the things that many of us value in the geospatial profession is that I, I can't even think of anyone I've met that that is not in the mode of okay, let's help each other, let's right. let's share. You know, you never meet anyone really that's that's abrasive or um, is just anti uh, wanting to rising tide lifting all boats that type of thing. And so I think that you know, as time goes on, yes, we love the technology, but the, the people in the you know, we're really trying to make a positive difference on our planet with all of this um, really is uh, something that, you know, we'll always think about. We may not think about the the times that we've been maybe frustrated trying to get some data to overlay or something like that, but we will remember these good people that we're working with. So I love what you're touching on here. I tell my students all the time that the people that they're commiserating over GIS with <laughs> um, in the labs are the people that they'll continue to, to touch base with after they graduate. They don't believe me, but they will. They will find each other. Yeah, uh, I mean, you and I being one of zillions mm -hmm. of examples, we still yeah. collaborate on on all, all things geospatial. Mm -hmm. um, you know, thinking about all the projects that you've been involved with over the years, what are one or two projects or maybe initiatives that you're proudest to be a part of? There are a lot of them. Um, from the Florida Digital Educators, where we were introducing technologies like GIS to, mm -hmm. to new educators. Um, I think 
my work with 4-H and um, the Missouri Geographic Alliance and National Geographic was really great because I got to really reach into K-12 and, um, and be that geo-evangelist um, for geography education and GIS um, were great. But one of the more recent projects that I've been working on is with Lincoln University. Um, it's a historically black college university, HBCU. The, there's a professor there who is um, in agriculture and environmental science, and his interest is looking at underserved and underrepresented um, audiences and how do we reach educators to help them reach students in their awareness of the geospatial technologies. So lighting the fire for the teachers to, to be able to introduce something that they don't know very much about um, so that we have students who are aware of these career pathways. I think that that is something that we all need to be doing. Um, it, when I first started in GIS and I first came to some of the very large GIS conferences, there weren't many women, um, to be honest. Uh, there were a whole lot more men in the field. And now I go to the conferences and I see, you know, at least equal, if not sometimes more women um, in the field. But I, I still think that there are um, spaces and places for us to reach those underserved and upper, underrepresented audiences around the world, not just in the U.S., where we reach, um, you know, students who they've never heard it. Or, uh, you know, we, ha I, we had a college student, he said, you know, I don't know how I fell into this. And I don't think people should fall into this. I think people um, should learn about this and come to this earlier in their lives. Um, geography and GIS are around us every day, and we sometimes we have have kids who could um, who could be the next the next great thing for geospatial technologies, and they're sitting in a classroom somewhere. Um, they're somewhere on this Earth's surface, and we're not reaching them. And I think that that's something that we need to do. And so the project that I'm doing with, with Lincoln University and USDA is a powerful, powerful project um, because it's looking at really um, reaching people who, don't, who may not know what we do and why we do it. Um, and that there is a job that's there um, looking at location and, and something that they're passionate about. Because it can be in any discipline. I think that's, I think that's where it's hard to to talk to, um, you know, college freshmen about. Well, yes, you're majoring in political science, but this tool called GIS could help you in, throughout your entire career. Um, or looking at a sixth grader who is interested in making um, better decisions about recycling in their community and how mapping might help with that. There's so many impactful ways that that GIS remote sensing um, GPS can be used and, and we just need to reach out and, um, and help one another understand it. Indeed, yeah, with, despite the growth in the GIS community, I think you're, you're touching on really important points. Uh, one, we have made lots of progress on the K-12 and informal mm -hmm. education side, libraries, museums, 4-H. Those, those students that attend the ESPRI user conference, for those of you listening, you may have been inspired by these students as Shannon and I have in the past, but there's only about 15 of them. But they, in, a, in, in some ways, they kind of steal the show. They're awesome. And they're doing, uh, you know, animation and, and really uh, advanced spatial analysis. They don't know that it's hard. They just tackle it and they just do right. it. And how can we encourage as a community 
um, and not just encourage, but actually take positive steps, uh, concrete steps forward in bringing additional mm -hmm. people from a young age, as you're talking about. And then also you're touching on as wonderful and vibrant as the GIS community is, uh, we do need those people in, in economics, history, data science, right? Engineering, mathematics, and all kinds of different disciplines to, to make our community even stronger and uh, solve more problems, right? For a better world. Right. So, I love what you're saying here. And you well, touched on, yeah, go ahead. Can I, um, can I add something to that? I, I believe that a lot of people, when they think about educational outreach who are GIS professionals, they think that what they need to do is push something really big, um, some big initiative, something that the, the kids will engage in and that all kids will engage in. Not all kids will engage in GIS, but I do think that there are things that happen in a local GIS office and they have a list of data they need to collect and there's always something at the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. You never have enough time to get to it. And kids, especially youth, they really, they really want to be engaged in real world work. Um, they want to go out and make a difference and, um, and they are engaged at a community level in where they live, in their neighborhood, um, in their community and in their schools. And if you ask them to collect data for you, I have found that middle schoolers collect better data than undergraduate engineering students. Um, they take it very seriously. It's not just an assignment to them. It's something that someone has entrusted to them. And I think that a lot of professionals need to consider where their partnerships with local schools or local youth organizations can be beneficial not only to the kids, but also to their own organizations in collecting that data that they need that they may not, um, they may not think about. I did that a lot when I was in, um, in Columbia, Missouri. I partnered with the local GIS folks and said, what data do you need collected so that when we're teaching them GPS, we go out and collect where sidewalks need to be fixed. Um, you don't have time to send people out. We can do that. And so we grid it out. There's a little pre-planning ahead of time, you know, between the educator and the GIS professional. But um, those kids came back and said, hey, you categorize things A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You actually need H, I, J, K, and L because you're missing some things. And, um, and they have a voice mm -hmm. in it that gives such a different perspective. Indeed. Uh, off heard refrain, right, is in education. What, when are we ever going to actually use this after we graduate, right? And what you're saying is, good point. Let's, let's use a real-world project with real data that people actually need, and then those GIS professionals, those city planners, etc., they're the clients, basically, for the students. And as you said, the students take it very seriously. I love what you're saying, and just for the benefit of the folks listening here, there is geomentor.net and other ways that you can connect with schools if you're a GIS professional. But as Shannon's saying, think think big. Think, uh, you know, outside the box of uh, going to a school and giving a presentation is okay, but there's a long-term sort of positive impact that you can make in other ways. Also, I like what you're saying about it doesn't have to be some huge project. Uh, it can be something small that the students can just go out and collect in a few hours or a few days, that type of thing, few class periods. And sometimes that makes, that's the, that can make a huge difference in not only the, um, 
the classroom, but you never know what seeds you're planting, right? And those future students, oh yeah, I remember when we were in eighth grade, we did this and, and suddenly I'm on this pathway of being a data scientist or a city planner or whatever. Exactly. Now, Shannon, you touched on this a bit ago, but I wanted to just find out if you had any more things to say about this. Uh, the most important thing you think we need to work on as the geography, geosciences, GIS community. Any further thoughts on that? You've given some good advice already, but I wanted to lay it one more time before you. I think that as a community, if you're, you're thinking about, and for me, I have a really broad community. I have, and I have multiple communities, and I think most professionals do. And they sometimes disconnect their work um, and their hobbies and their passions um, from one another. And I think that sometimes when we find that, um, that confluence of where something we love and where something we do come together, um, that can be very powerful. But it also has to be something that we are intentional about. Geography education is not always intentional in the U.S. In addition to that, um, GIS integration in schools is not always intentional. And if it is intentional, sometimes what you find is that there's a great teacher who's integrating GIS at a school and then they leave or they retire and it doesn't continue. That happens in K-12. That mm -hmm. happens at universities. And so intentionality in what we're doing and how, how we're progressing, but also not being afraid of change and new explorations. Um, I think that we get tied to one type of technology oftentimes, and we don't think about new and different ways it can be used. And if we really stop and think about the crazy ways we could use the technology, that's where invention happens. That's where we have these new opportunities. Um, and don't be afraid just because something is open source. That, that doesn't mean that, you know, it's horrible. It just means that somebody's willing to share it and somebody put time into it and you could add to that as well. So open source data, um, adding to those collections only makes all of our data better. Um, open source technology and open source um, layers of information. If your community doesn't have a great base map, look at some of the open base maps that are out there. Um, somebody is taking the time to volunteer their time and add polygons to these maps, um, and and that collective, that collective part of the community is something that's invaluable. Um, and we we shouldn't just say, oh, well, we don't know if it's true. Sometimes it, it it's not that you have to have it completely accurate um, down to um, down to a specific level to do that. And so I see a lot of users. Um, and there are times where you need to be survey grade. I do acknowledge that. Um, but there are times in which we could make a really good map um, that underlies something that is made by other people. Um, and you don't have to do it alone. And I think that that happens a lot in geography education and in GIS uh, as professionals that we oftentimes just, we try to go at it alone. And this is not the type of technology to go at alone. And these are not the topics that need to be um, kind of shuttered away in one person's office or in one person's brain. Indeed, I think of um, OpenStreetMap and uh, citizen science projects all over the world that are 
generating the kinds of data that uh, people are using. Um, and certainly citizen science goes back to what, late 19th century bird birders, Audubon Society, et cetera. But right. now being able to map and analyze the results um, nearly instantaneously has just lent a huge boost to these citizen science efforts. Mm -hmm. And there are some wonderful innovative uh, people that are creating even tools, as you know, that um, have enhanced what people can do with citizen science. I think of uh, a business partner of ours, Mapillary, you know, so you've got uh, a, a need to create like a Google-esque street view for sidewalks in your town or trails in your community or whatever. Hey, go out and collect your own trail view or street view with Mapillary. I mean, it's just one of many, many examples and students could do that, right? They could actually generate mm -hmm. that kind of information uh, as you're indicating. So, uh, yes. Um, also, you touched on another, I think, wonderful thing about geospatial technologies, and that is it's, it's a disruptive sort of theme. Right. It is not meant to just sort of let's do what we were doing before in just a digital mode. I mean, sure, in the early days of GIS, much of early GIS, right, was creating the kinds of mapped data that we had before, topographic data, land use, land cover, etc. And now, ooh, we could use a GIS to create that kind of mapped data, but now it's it's really opening new worlds, uh, new new views of data, new new kinds of data that we never thought we'd have available at our fingertips. So I have a student I, who yeah. just created a map of some of the data that she was looking at about Venus in a GIS, and that just to me, you know, it's not it's about the Earth, and it's also beyond. It's mm -hmm. amazing. If someone asks you, can you map it? Most likely you can, and it may take a little bit more challenge to it, but oh my goodness, the, the amazing things that you learn helping someone map something that you had never thought about mapping before, it's incredible. Yeah, what kind of a datum and coordinate system are they using on the Venus map? <laughs> There's actually, there is actually a coordinate mm -hmm. system um, for Venus. Uh, the challenge we ran into was ensuring that when we put it up online, that it didn't default back to Web Mercator, you know, but that's a really interesting, um, you know, it's an interesting concept to think about, you know, and how, how are NASA scientists um, using these technologies in the ways that they need to, um, you know, to have a coordinate system of a specific planet and then be able to load that in and then share it uh, with others as well. Um, I had never had a student interested in, in looking at something that was um, external to the Earth's surface. And so oh, that I was a great it. challenge for me. I'd seen other students do it, um, but this was, this was the first one that I had had personally that she, she really wanted to create a story map with um, Venus data. And kind of in keeping with our theme of careers yeah. um, in this, if folks listening to this are interested, there is a group, uh, the Interplanetary Working Group at the USGS in Flagstaff that uh, is mapping uh, Venus, uh, Callisto, Io, Ganymede, etc., Mars. And so, you know, there are, there's not hundreds of people that work there, but it is a group that uh, someone interested in planetary mapping could actually work for. So very cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right, Shannon, I'm conscious of the time here, but uh, really appreciate your insights. What, what uh, in closing, what would be your advice to, say, a new professional 
in the fields that we've been talking about. I know we've been talking about several different interlocking, interconnected fields, but what would be your advice for someone who's kind of listening to this going, wow, this sounds really fascinating. How can I get into it? What should I do? So new professionals, um, the first thing is remember that you do not need to know everything all at once. Um, GIS and attending a GIS conference sometimes can feel like you're drinking from a fire hose, but you need to need to find the foundational pieces of information that, that help you get to where you want to be. Um, you know, these days, social media, Google, YouTube, um, a lot of the different vendors that have um, GIS products, they all have, um, you know, lessons and GIS, um, GIS tutorials that you can use. And so all of that free learning that is out there, those opportunities for learning are um, available to, to anyone with an internet connection. Um, and so making sure that you, you touch into that, those pieces, you know, look up hashtag GIS um, on Twitter and, and look at when there's a GIS chat and, and things like that. I do suggest building a network or joining a network and asking lots of questions. Um, don't think that your questions are things that you should already know. We don't know everything all the time. Um, and being vulnerable to ask a question um, allows other people to help you and to build a relationship with you. And so I would suggest go to conferences, um, meet people, learn new things. Um, I, I actually wrote an article for Directions Magazine on those types of things of going to conferences. Um, but really, Think outside of the box and push yourself. Um, those are the things that have, have really worked for me. I couldn't tell you that 20 years ago I would be a geospatial professional. And uh, it has been the most rewarding part of my life. When people ask me how come I got to create a drone camp for kids and they say, how do I be who you are? Follow your passion. You, you have to be you. Um, but do the things that really are fun to you alongside the things that you're responsible for. Can't let go of those things. <laughs> Indeed. Thanks for those words of wisdom, Shannon. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you in this geo-inspiration series is that you exemplify lifelong learning. You are always enthusiastic about learning new things and you're living what you're preaching. So we appreciate that about you among many other things. So thanks so much for sharing with us. I just wish you all the best in your position there, William and Mary and beyond. I like what you're sharing with the, with the audience today about being challenging yourself. Don't get into your comfort zone, but also I really like what you said just a moment ago about don't feel like you need to learn everything all at once. Uh, these are lifelong journeys that, uh, uh, you're describing with the, the colleagues of yours and Marsha Labrandi and, and others. And I was in a class, you probably have this experience as well in your career, where I was in a criminal justice class and I, I had 90 minutes with these awesome students. And about halfway through, I sort of sensed this dismay and I kind of, okay, what's going on? And then a couple of students said, well, you, you thought we were going to learn GIS today. Oh, <laughs> I've heard that. And I said, 
Well, I don't want to burst your bubble. We're going to we're using some tools today to analyze crime, but this is it's like physics, chemistry, right? It, it's it's a lifelong endeavor. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have had those experiences as well. Oh gosh. Here's well, the introduction that I have in, for 90 minutes, but there are lots mm -hmm. more things that you need to do, right? I, I completely understand what you're saying with that. Fortunately, there are so many exciting things to, to study with the application of geotechnologies, right? We've got lots of critical issues on our planet, right, from global to local. And so there's never a shortage of what to study. And so no, not at all. It is a very good time for people to think about joining joining the, this community because it really is a community as Shannon's saying we, we're all in this together and uh, we need your voice and so thanks for being one of the, the voices out there Shannon much appreciated well thank you for asking me I've, I've enjoyed everything that I've ever done in my geospatial professional career and I just hope that everyone listening has as much enthusiasm as they move forward in their careers it is a very engaging wonderful community and an important one as you're saying to, to be a part of um, one that's critically needed so again thanks so much for all of your time and careful thought and words much appreciated folks thanks for joining us on this installment of geo inspirations from directions magazine